Welcome to Grid Talk, a series of conversations with the leaders and innovators shaping the 21st century grid. Hosting the podcast is Marty Rosenberg, an award-winning energy journalist. The series is sponsored by the Department of Energy's Office of Electricity Advanced Grid Research Division. Now, here's Marty Rosenberg with Grid Talk. Welcome to John Baer, who's the CEO of MISO, the Mid-Continent System Operator. Hi, John. Hello, Marty. How are you today? Very good. We're very glad to have a conversation with you about MISO and what it's up to and uh, maybe get an update on what happened in mid-February around the Midwest and uh, down into Texas. Um, First, let's take a minute and talk about MISO. It's a not-for-profit. How is it similar to and different from the other ISOs like Cal ISO or New York ISO? Well, all of us have a little bit different scope, um, given the sort of underlying uh, membership that we have, right? So MISO is predominantly a vertically integrated underlying membership. I think we have about 10% of our uh, area, mostly Illinois and a small part of Michigan that has retail choice and everybody else is vertically integrated. So that, uh, that, that differs us a little bit. And then the other thing is MISO has uh, an independent board of directors uh, that is elected uh, by the membership. And um, I think that makes us a little bit different as well. We don't have any sort of votes that are required by membership to file things at FERC, to file at different commissions, uh, you know, things like that. So our, our board approves our budget, um, votes to approve a transmission plan on an annual basis, and then um, also sort of oversees management and make sure that management's doing its job. So you have, according to your website, 471 market participants serving 42 million people. Are all of them utilities, or is there something else in the mix? Uh, there would be a whole lot of things in that uh, in that mix. So it wouldn't be just utilities, no, sir. So of the utility component of that, how visible uh, must... Um, how much uh, of a look do you have into what their plans are for EVs and electrification, and how does that affect your planning? Well, um, I would say we have a very good look into uh, what they're doing related to EVs or anything else that they're working on with their plans. We spend quite a bit of time with our members, um, staying very close to them, making sure that we understand what they're trying to do strategically. Uh, as they move their business forward so that we can make sure that the things we're doing at MISO are prioritized appropriately and uh, and also um, are, are the right scope and scale so that we can help them implement what they need to implement in an efficient, reliable manner. How big is the change that you see coming um, in terms of electrifying transportation and getting EV charging out in your 15 U.S. states in Manitoba? I think from an electrification or EV standpoint, what we see coming um, is significant, but it's not right in front of us. We have some bigger issues that are right in front of us uh, that are a lot more significant, I would say, over the next uh, five years. And uh, what would those be? Well, we're having a significant portfolio change uh, in the electric fleet to which we're operating. Uh, We're going to, over the next uh, five to 10 years, double the amount of renewables that we have on our system, that being wind and solar at a sort of scalable wholesale level. And uh, that is a significant change. So we'll have continued retirements of coal and gas 
Uh, and we also have projected a little bit of nuclear retirement. And uh, we're forecasting a significant addition, uh, again, of solar at, uh, at wholesale scale, as well as wind uh, at wholesale scale adding to our system. So off of your website, the, the, the uh, figures I've snatched has renewables at about 19%. Gas at forty-two percent, coal at twenty-nine percent. Is that about accurate for today? That does sound correct. Yes. So, give us an idea of how that is going to change, or or how large will renewables get as a share of your one hundred and eighty-four thousand megawatts of capacity? So, if you go out to twenty forty, for example, um, we're looking at wind and solar being around twenty-five percent of our portfolio. Such growth may be not as dramatic as other parts of the country. Is that fair? Well, I think that's because of our scale and the fact that we're already uh, sitting on you know nine to ten percent. Mm-hmm. But it, it still is double. <laughs> so as you get to that, what role will battery storage play? Are you going to have to have significant increases in storage? We are going to need significant increases in storage, and and we like to talk about it generically, Barney, and that's just that if we're going to have that level of intermittent resources on our system, we know we're going to need a whole lot of flexibility to make sure we can manage that. And that flexibility needs to be quick. Uh, it needs to be flexible. It needs to be reliable. And whether that's hydrogen, whether that's gas, whether that's a mix of the two, or whether that's batteries, we don't know yet. It'll, it'll depend upon where technology goes. You and I chatted several weeks ago, right after the mid-February coal snap uh, really did some serious damage down in Texas and to ERCOT and had spillover effects in, into MISO. Talk for a minute about those spillover effects and uh, how you managed through that period. Yeah, and I wouldn't call them spillover effects, not to pick at your words, just because you know things in Texas didn't necessarily affect MISO. I think we were able to help uh, our friends at SPP with uh, helping them import some energy, which helped them reduce or mitigate some of the exposure they had. We had some transmission issues in East Texas, which caused us to have to curtail some load to balance things out. We had enough energy. We just didn't have the transmission capability to move it uh, where it needed to go. So we had some issues um, in East Texas. We also had some issues in Southern Illinois for a small period of time. Do you think the... Um 65,800 miles of transmission you have is fairly well protected against changes more more common and, and more virulent changes in weather? I do. I think that um, our state commissioners have done a nice job, um, one, of making sure that our transmission grid um, is, is well prepared for that kind of weather, but also making sure that most of our generation is well prepared for that kind of weather. We didn't have the winterization issues, if you will, and some of the gas and electric issues that the folks experienced down at ERCOT, which caused a lot of their outages. Do you have an opinion on what ERCOT needs to do to fix its situation? Well, um, I'm not as close to it as I could be to give you that opinion, but I know there's a 2011 report that uh, NERC and, and, uh, and some others put together for Texas, kind of giving them a roadmap on things to do. I would start there and and then use the lessons learned that come out of this time to add any additional things that they need to add or need to do going forward. Uh, you talked about your transmission um, plans for expansion and enhancement. Um, you have over $4 billion in spending in the wings. Talk about what technology changes you're, you're going to get for that and uh, what, what do the projects look like? What do they entail? 
Well, most of the projects that you're referring to that are on our books today, if you will, in terms of our existing transmission plans that we have asked our members to move forward and put in place are reliability type structures, um, both upgrading the existing system and then interconnecting new resources uh, to our system. I, I will tell you that as we look forward into the future and look to change towards that portfolio that I talked to you about earlier, getting us to you know, 25% of wind and solar on our system, um, we are going to need some some significant transmission changes, number one, to make sure that we can move the wind and solar around so that we don't have to curtail it when we don't have enough load to absorb it in the regions that it's in. And number two, we're going to need to be able to bring sort of flexible resources to firm that up uh, to the wind and the uh, the solar areas when it's not windy or sunny to uh, to keep things reliable. And that's going to require quite a bit of transmission investment as we go forward. Will that uh, by by itself force you to to accommodate more market participants? Do you see that expanding from current levels? Um, I don't think it's dependent upon market participants at all. I think it's more just us planning our transmission system for the resource portfolio that we're trying to operate going forward. Now, it may mean more market participants in terms of folks coming in to provide that flexibility in whatever form it may come in, whether it's hydrogen, whether it's batteries, whether it's gas. Uh, But we'll have to see what happens. You've been at MISO since 2004, um, 16, 17 years. How has that organization changed in that time frame, would you say? I would say we've changed significantly. You know, we've gone from a startup organization in 2004 when we started our energy markets in 2005, where we largely operated a probably 80% uh, coal portfolio. Uh, with some gas turbines that helped us peak uh, during the summertime when we needed to peak, um, and a portfolio that I believe in 2005 had 100 megawatts of wind, uh, to one today that I believe has around 26 gigawatts of wind on it, um, as well as we've added our southern region. So we're quite different today. Things have become um, a lot more complicated as our portfolio has changed. Um and so we've matured quite a bit, but we definitely have a much bigger task on our hands in terms of making sure that we can be affordable and reliable. What are some of the big issues at FERC that you're tracking these days that, that either will enhance or create um, problems for your business? Well, I think um, there's, there's a couple of big things going on at FERC right now. And one is that we are trying to move forward in changing our resource adequacy construct. We have something we recall our, our, our reliability imperative, where we're starting to think about what resource availability looks like and what a resource accreditation looks like, both across seasons. And then sort of how do we take into account or consideration the outages that we're having? Uh, so we're looking at anything that we're working on with FERC on that front. Secondly, sort of emergency and scarcity pricing. Uh, we think we need to make some pretty significant changes there to make sure that uh, pricing is reflective of our underlying system conditions so that we get into situations like the polar vortex we were just through. Um, our system sends the right signals to parties outside. As you know, the interconnection of the broader grid and the eastern interconnect can be very, very helpful uh, if you provide it the right incentives. Uh, and then long, long-range transmission planning, we're looking hard to see what FERC is thinking about and saying around FERC Order 1000 um, and how it's thinking about long-range transmission going forward and, and, and how those things are being thought through. 
You, you mentioned uh, scarcity pricing, and uh, with 42% roughly of the generation in your area being gas, was there a sharp uptick in gas costs in mid-February? There was. There was a significant increase. Now, most of our gas plants um, were online prior to the weekend, which you know preceded the, the major storm. So a lot of those folks had already bought gas, which was good. But I will tell you, and, and you know this, is that gas prices got pretty high because of the scarcity of that gas. Um, we can't have some issues in MISO where the gas competes with home heating, although we didn't see a whole lot of that this time. Uh, because the plans were put in place well in advance as we anticipated the event. But um, we did see some pretty high prices, yes. How did that impact your customers? Well, it impacts our customers because it raises their prices. Was it painful or was it because of the mix and what you talked about that they were already operating? Was it mitigated somewhat? Well, I think it's both. I I think it was mitigated somewhat, but anytime prices are going to go up uh, significantly, which I think we definitely saw that happen, it is going to be a little bit painful for those who had generating units that couldn't perform and were short to the market price. Do you have any opinions on what happened to the gas down in in Texas that could have been forestalled? You know, I I don't. Um, Marty, the one thing that I will tell you that we took away from some of the events that we've read about and we've we've talked to folks about in Texas is that we're going to work hard with our member utilities to make sure that our outage planning is seasonal and risk-adjusted for those seasons. Um, one of the things that, that you can fall prey to is when you have to reduce load, it's usually in the summertime. And when that's the case, you have a different group that you would curtail if you have to, than maybe you would curtail in the wintertime. And so one of the things we want to do is make sure that, um, our curtailment plans are seasonal by nature so that we do it as efficiently as possible if we ever have to do it. The last topic I really wanted to explore with you is the question of grid security at a time when Russia, China, Iran and other bad actors are constantly probing our cyber space. Do you see an uptick and what is required at MISO to protect its assets? Marty, it is a significant uptick. And that's probably one of the things I should have mentioned earlier when you asked me things that have changed from 2004 to now. You know, in 2004, 2005, we made sure that everybody had inter- internet protection on their, on their uh, personal computer and we kind of moved on. Right. And, uh, as you know, the amount of bad actors out there and the threats and the complications and the complexity of those threats is significant. And so we spend every minute of every day making sure that we can protect our systems um, as best possible. And it is it is a full-time job, and it takes all of us together to make that happen. When you come to work each day, what excites you most of, about what the future is going to bring? You know, I'm most excited about the decarbonization effort that's ongoing. I think that it's super exciting to see the pace uh, and the velocity at which our industry is having to change and then having to think through how to make all that work together in a reliable, affordable way. It's, uh, it is a big, big challenge, but I will tell you, it's, 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 uh, intellectually, it's very stimulating because there's no perfect answer. We're having to figure this out and work it on the, on the fly. So we're sort of changing the, the, uh, airplane engines on the plane while the plane's in flight. And uh, it is an exciting challenge. We're really excited about it. And I think we're up for it. The federal government is looking at a major infusion into infrastructure in this um, coming year or two. Uh, What would you like to see that include as far as the uh, electric grid is concerned? 
transmission, 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 and transmission. Is there a specific proposal before them to, to assist? You know, there is not. I think there are some things um, that are incremental at best that are on the table right now as I read it. Um, I do think the in- investment tax credit is a step in the right direction. Um, but, you know, a 30% reduction gives us less cost than we have to share and, and move around. The truth is we all benefit from this. And if we really believe that climate change is an existential threat to the country, a high voltage transmission grid laid over the top, much like an Eisenhower style highway plan uh, is what we need to really move this forward. And uh, I don't hear anything like that being talked about. And without that, I don't know how we're going to, uh, to interconnect the level of renewables that's being discussed so that we can really get to zero carbon by 2035 or 2050. Great. Thanks for talking to us, John. Marty, I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Grid Talk. And thanks to our guest, John Bear, who's the CEO of MISO, for his sharing his insights about what's going on in his business and the electric industry in general. You have been listening to Grid Talk. Please send us feedback or questions at gridtalk at enroll.gov. And we encourage you to give the podcast a rating or review on your favorite podcast platform. For more information, please visit smartgrid.gov. Thanks for listening to Grid Talk, presented by the U.S. Department of Energy Office of Electricity Advanced Grid Research Division. Subscribe through your favorite podcast provider or visit smartgrid.gov for more information.